Life can be difficult. It can be challenging. This past week, Sally and I attended a funeral in Frisco of a young man who had been struck by illness and disease some years back. He had finally reached the age of, I forget if it was 49 or 52, I'm not for sure, I don't remember, it doesn't really matter. But he could no longer overcome that disease and uh, he went to be with the Lord and we attended his service this past week. Even as we also were aware that we had a service this Saturday here for Lisa. As we held that service, again, we were reminded how precious life is, each breath that we take, each step that we are allowed to make upon this earth. Even today, Mr. Posh is back with us for the first time in a long time. His recovery been allowing him to be back in the congregation. We're so glad to have you back, Brother Posh. I know you've been through a lot of... Yes, we're glad to have you join us. So many ways that God acts in our lives. Sally and I also took a drive Saturday afternoon up to Paris, Texas to sit with a dear couple of, that we've known since 2000 and, oh, since, make that, since 1996 when we went to Paris, Texas as the pastor family at that time. Frank was a, and he is a particularly dear and close friend. He was one of the chairs and probably chair emeritus of the fearsome, foursome, or fivesome that gathered to play golf often at the Paris Golf and Country Club. He was joined there, CPA that he is, by a banker who rarely said three words, by a school teacher and tennis coach who had retired while we were there, who didn't say many words either, and by Frank, who was six foot three and kind of the leader of the group, who didn't have a lot to say either. And then, to round out the group, there was also a, a, a doc who was part of the group, who was in technology and x-ray, tall and slender. I don't know how that happened, but anyway... He got to come pretty often. He didn't have much to say. So God added me to their group. And I was happy to talk for all of them. To abuse all of them and to drive them into hysteria if possible so that I might win once upon a time occasionally with that group. We took weekend golf trips once or twice a year as well as played regularly. On Saturdays, then they managed to get to the course earlier than I did on Sunday, and I sometimes would join them later in the day. And then in the spring, we'd meet, and we would join up for afternoon golf. Frank is a true Boy Scout. I always kind of razzed him about being the biggest Boy Scout I ever knew. Frank never did anything wrong in his life that we can figure out. I'm sure he did, but we, you couldn't tell it. Never smoked a moment in his life, never drank a drop in his life. You did not hear him say words that were inappropriate anywhere, treated everyone with a soft, gentle kindness. The only time he became a beast was when he was competing, and he was an athlete. Back in March, Frank became ill. And in typical Frank fashion, he threatened his wife as she told anyone that he had been diagnosed with 
stage four, cancer. And at annual conference, by the time he'd received a lot of his treatments, the town was beginning to realize that Frank was sick and he just wasn't telling anybody. The only person he had allowed his wife to tell was his children. So we went to see him Friday afternoon. She said, you can come and stay a while. And we did, about two hours. And first thing I did when I walked in the room, he says, you're in trouble, along with your wife, for not calling me. And he got his sheepish smile and said, well, didn't want any big deal made about it. And I said, yeah, 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 whatever. Then I abused him for an hour or so. And we talked about everything that was important in the world, about our children and our grandchildren. We talked about the good times we had. And we talked about how he needed to regain his strength so we could play golf again. There's no way that I can imagine how anyone as healthy as he is. Their vacations were spent hiking through mountains together. But there it is, kind of cancer that people do not get well from, and he knows that. We talked about it a lot. But you know, he knows also who's in charge of his life, and he knows that he still can battle while he's here on this earth. And he knows that when the time comes, you'll be in good hands. The healing that he will receive someday will not be here on this earth unless God decides to do a miracle. You never rule that out, you know. But pancreatic cancer is a particularly difficult cancer to battle. It is already metastasized in his body, so the evil is spreading throughout that kind, gentle man. And it makes you stop as life often does if we're paying any attention whatsoever, to consider how precious is each gift. We talked about how at 73, he had hardly been sick a day in his life, and he knew many who had been sick much earlier than him. But disease and illness doesn't come to those who deserve it. It's something that permeates the culture in a fallen world. People get sick. People die. Sometimes in timely ways and sometimes in untimely ways. But one thing we can all agree on, the only way you're going to get out of here is to die. What remains to be seen is what you do with the life you have here on earth and what that means for the eternity that many people do not even believe exists. And yet many people, many, many people also do believe firmly that it does exist. And in fact, it, 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 it wraps us in its arms while we're still here on this earth. Now, in the midst of the story that Cindy read to you, there's a great example of how God intersects our breathing and our living here on earth. He doesn't do it for everyone or for every illness. And in fact, I think there are many commentators out there who believe that the healing and the miracles that you find in the book of Acts are somewhat a little bit of an anomaly Because Jesus knew that he was establishing his church. And unless it was rooted and grounded in ways that the people who received it in the beginning would never, ever forget, it could not be passed on. The faith, the healing, and the miracles are a combination of the gifts of the Spirit 
That when they come together in humanity and time and place, and when they occur, the people who are touched by it can never quite get over it. Quite frankly, I love it because it's the kind of personality I have. I love it when a doctor says, we don't know why this person is still alive, but they are. I just love to smile at them. I love it when they say, well, you're getting well and we told you you wouldn't. Because once again, in a miraculous way in our day and age, God intervenes in our physical history to change lives and do things not only in them, but through them. Now, yes, I know that sometimes we pray and we pray for that healing to be experienced on this physical earth, and it does not happen. That's always a challenge to our faith. We don't pretend to understand everything there is to understand and know about the miracles that, ca- that happen on this earth. I can remember at one time when I was particularly coming back to the church in a, as a young adult and Bible studies and things were going on. I was wrestling with a call to ministry and we were at this house of a couple who had a, a young girl who had been prayed for for years for her to recover and be able to rise and walk out of her bed. And it hadn't happened for this very faithful couple. But I couldn't I could not not go into her room and, and pray with her. At that time in my life, I really would have been very happy for God to have physically healed her in a moment and have seen her jump out of that bed. But it didn't happen. But it also didn't stop me from continuing to pray for her or to believe that God was healing her in ways other than the way I was praying. And every time we face the cry of our lives and need desperately the touch of God in our lives, we cry out to God. And according to the depth of our faith, according to the position of our heart, if you will, according to the confidence we're feeling at the moment, we pray in different kind of levels at different times. We do. But one thing we always do is we pray. And we never as Christians should doubt the reality that miracles still exist today. Now, in reading one commentator about this particular passage, I I like the way he kind of arranged it. He says there's three things we should ask ourselves about this passage in the text. He said we should ask what happened, and we should be sure we understand that. And we should ask ourselves why did it happen and be sure we have an understanding of that. And then lastly, he says we could ask ourselves how can it happen today. And I want to address those three questions and a few other things as we roll along through this passage. But first, I just want to hear the story again because these stories of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts are so packed with power that we never want to let them escape not only our minds but our hearts as well. You can just see it. They're on their way at the hour of prayer up to the temple to pray, Peter and John, and they pass this this man who's been seated as he always is placed there to beg for alms because he's been crippled since birth. He could not earn a living. And he's crying out, alms for the poor, alms for the poor, in his native language. And as they approached him and began to walk by him, they heard him. And when they heard him crying out, they stopped. And then they did something strange. They commanded him in a strong, authoritative voice to look at us. Because you see, when you're there day after day after day, crippled as you are, You're so used to chanting out alms for the poor, and you're trying to catch every eye that walks by you. If you've ever been to a land where they're beggars, you know how that works. They want you to look at them 
Because in that moment when you look at them, they're going to judge whether or not you might have a kind look on your face and you might give them something or whether they need to just disregard you and go on to the next one. And by the way, they want to reach as many as possible because they, they need every bit of help they can get. So I'm sure he had hollered as they walked by, thinking they looked like people who might have alms for the poor, and immediately went to the next people walking up to pray. And he didn't really fix his eyes upon them. He didn't really believe they had anything more than a normal gift to give him. But boy, did he get something he wasn't expecting, right? Look at us. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, and the Greek is very clear. It's a command. Walk. And as he begins to rise with the support of that hand, those bones undergo spiritual surgery. And they are put in the right place. No visible scars to be seen, but on the inside, healing has happened. And from that moment on, he'll be able to go out and earn a living. He'll be able to run and play with family and friends. He'll no longer be looked at with pity, but rather as other people are looked at who are not challenged in that way. His whole life was changed in an incident. He was running and jumping and hopping and praising God for what had happened to him. What a powerful thing that was. And then when they went into the course of the temple, when everybody heard the commotion there, said, that, you know, that's... That's the guy, right? He used to be paralyzed. He used to sit out there day after day after day. What's happened to him? And did they hear? Of course he's going to tell them. How could he not tell them a miracle that happened in his life? And as they begin to hear what's going on, they all begin to look with wonder at Peter and John. Wow, aren't you something? You know, you know what you do. You've seen it on TV probably. I'll admit, in my younger seminary days, skeptic that I was, I occasionally turned the TV to some channels where I knew some people were doing ministry in a radically different way than I did, and I just kind of wanted to watch, you know, where they put their hands up on that person's head and they're slain in the spirit, which is a real phenomenon, I believe. But sometimes you could kind of tell they weren't just laying their hands up there. They were trying to push them down. <laughs> You'd be slain and you need to fall down right now. The camera's on fall, you know. And that was such a turnoff for a young preacher. I'll, I'll admit it. I was fascinated by it. And I didn't like it. Because it felt wrong in my soul occasionally. Not every time, but some of the times. It felt like the attention was being drawn to the preacher who had the gift of healing as opposed to the one who really heals. And Peter and John made that clear. Don't be, why are you looking at us? We did not do this. God healed this man. Jesus healed this man. It is in his power when his name is spoken that healing came. Can you imagine the courage it took to start that? These are the same guys who were so wishy-washy, it was pitiful for the last two and a half years. They just had a dose of the Holy Spirit, however, and everything was now different. What happened was they called upon the name of Jesus. They called upon the power of Jesus to heal. And when they did so, this man walked. They reached out to him, not expecting him to take the first move. Not only did they see him, but they reached out to touch his life and to offer him something he wasn't even asking for in such a way that he could not help but respond. We don't have any silver or gold, but what we do have 
we give to you. Wow and wow and wow. What a combination of things were coming together. This is a, a winning combination. And all through the book of Acts, you're going to see it lived out again and again and again in these stories of the actions of the Holy Spirit. But it didn't stop there because you know what happens when a preacher gets an audience, right? He went on to preach. And he said, oh, yeah, why are you so surprised? You know, the guy you killed? And he went through the whole thing. He gave them the whole gospel story, right? He proclaimed it to them again. You crucified him, you buried him, but God raised him on the third day. And God is still in our midst working among us. That's key. God is still in our midst working among us. Without that, the man Jesus could not have become the Savior of the world. And I, I always remember that in the book of Acts. These were not normal times. This was the first time that the foundations that would hold up Christianity were being laid, and they would have to be laid over and over and over again in different ways, sometimes with miracles, but sometimes in a different way because then the Scriptures were inspired, and we have a story about these miracles. Not everyone was healed, but enough were healed that people could not deny that the power of this man, Jesus, was living today. He was living today. Did it make any difference? Oh, only to about 5,000 men that day. About 5,000 of them said, oops, we messed up. We need to repent. We need to get right with God, and we need to follow this guy, Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, again, filled them all. Wow, wow, and wow. Now, that's a revival. And if you get over there, Chip, in Cambodia, and by the way, they become, start coming by the thousands, just in case, you know our phone number. We have credit cards, and we will travel because we want to come see it. Because you never know when Pentecost is going to break out again in mass numbers. You also never know when the power of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, is going to come again in individual lives. But unless the winning combination is put together, I doubt you'll see it in your lifetime. What happened? We've already talked about it. The, the bones were put back in place. Inner healing with no scars. Why did it happen? Because these disciples had really begun to radically trust God. It must have been really hard. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't look at one another and say, what do we do? Do you think, do you think? Maybe they said that, but I doubt it. I think they looked at each other's eyes and they said, boom, we're going to do this. And with the confidence that only those who had freshly been anointed by the Spirit could, could act, they did just what came naturally to them, and this man was healed by the power of God right in front of their face. So faith is a part of it. It has to be exercised. If they didn't say anything, if they didn't reach out to touch him, if any of that was broken down, if the man refused to take their hand, if he refused to believe, we don't know that he would ever have been healed. But this, this accumulation of things happened at the right moment, and I believe it happened for a couple of reasons. One is because not only did they respond to the faith within them, but I think also because they had compassion on the man. They saw his need. They saw his need was greater than what he was really asking for. You ever been in that spot? Somebody comes to ask you for one thing, and really, it's not long in the conversation before you know they need something else. 
It wasn't long before I was with Frank that I knew he needed to talk longer, but I knew he wasn't going to talk to just very many people. But we talked about everything that he was facing in his life. People that you see and you see their need, they need a touch from God. You've got to have a compassionate spirit or you just look right over the top of them and keep on walking. And lastly, I think it happened because this was a moment in the kingdom of God when God intended to sow faith in a miraculous way so it would never be forgotten, and so he did. The last question he said we need to address is, can it happen today? Uh, yes. It can. It can. When you have the opportunity to enter in the plan of God in a special way that God has been laying out for his creation, when you become a part of the kingdom work, not for selfish reasons, but when you come with a humble, obedient heart to your faith and to the need of someone else, you can see miracles happen in people. You can see the most proud, arrogant people become humble. You can see people who are challenged physically overcome handicaps. And occasionally, if you delve into your work deep enough, you will literally see miracles and answers to your prayer. These things do happen today. I don't think they happen exactly in the same way, and I would say quite possibly not even as often in some ways. I think miracles happen are more prevalent because the church is spread out so far around the world. But I think Acts is a unique book. I think that God intended to impress upon humanity in these actions something that they would never forget. And so I think he went beyond his normal plan, if you will, in order to install his church in those who would believe. So what do we say to this? Well, I came up with a phrase I like. I think this is a winning combination. And you know by now that I like to win. I always like to win. I don't like to lose. The things that are combined here is life in the Spirit, encouraged in a life of faith that calls upon the name of Jesus. Now, quickly, let me look at those. Life in the Spirit. They knew now like they never knew before. They understood now what Jesus had been trying to teach them like they had never known before. And that's what happens when we receive the gift of the Spirit that God has given us. You can know every word in the Bible. You can recite it up and down. But if you don't really know that you know it, if you haven't really experienced it, if you haven't really understood it from the perspective of being taught by the Spirit, then you really haven't gotten it at all. I know a lot of people who are great biblical scholars. They just don't know Jesus. And quite frankly, their not knowing Jesus overshadows everything they know intellectually about the Scriptures or about religion. You have to know God. You have to experience and receive the Holy Spirit before you really can take the Word of God and it change your every life. You have to soak it up before you go, oh, that's what this is about. And that's what happened here. You have to experience the Spirit before you can experience the abundant life that's meant to happen. And then you have to live it out. You have to have trust and obedience I'm sure they looked at one another and it was with quick obedience that they were willing to tell this guy to walk. But sometimes it's not that easy. Sometimes the winds of the Spirit have not been that fresh in our lives. Sometimes radical trust 
And believing the impossible is very hard for us to do. I've walked into churches many times. In fact, most of the times in my ministry where they didn't think anything could happen and nothing would happen, anything different soon. In fact, I listened to one man tell me when we went to Salina, Texas, and I was, he, we were talking about the church, what the church is going to do. He just grinned. I said, what are you grinning about? He said, well, the guy before you said the same thing. And we're a small church, and, you know, you'll be here two years, and you'll be gone, or you might be gone 18 months. The last one was. I said, well, I'm not going to be gone 18 months. He said, yes, you are. They all are because we're a small church. I said, yeah, but I'm a country boy. I'm home. I'm not going to leave. And someday you're going to see 200 people worshiping in this sanctuary. He laughed. He said, we're not going to have 200 people worshiping in this sanctuary. But if we do, i tell you what I'll do. If you get 200 people here six weeks in a row, I'll preach a sermon, and you can sit out in the congregation. And if you don't, you're going to work for me, and I'm going to go fishing one day. I said, deal. We made a bet, a holy bet, I like to think. I guess God thought so, too, because about three and a half years later, when they quit asking me, are you going to stay here another year, I decided it was time. Pick the two weeks, three weeks leading up to Easter. That's your best attendance, right? Let the word out in a small town of 1,100 or so that we're gonna, we need 200 people in worship at the First Methodist Church, not the First Baptist Church, for six Sundays in a row, row and then you gather. What happens? On the very first Sunday, we had 205 or something. There were Baptists in the crowd. Word was spreading. Next week, we hiccuped, and we should have. I should have gone out in the streets, but I didn't. And I had to start all over again. I was three or four short. But for the next six weeks, we had over 200 in that church. And on the seventh week, I sat in the pew, smiling at him as he preached. (laughs) You see, so often in church, things don't happen because we don't believe they can happen. Now, don't get me wrong. Even when you believe they can happen, sometimes you can be wrong. Sometimes you could believe and want something so desperately that you believe it's going to happen regardless of whatever is going on around you. I've been there. I know how that feels. But when the life of faith wraps around life in the Spirit, and when the, we are humble enough as followers of Christ to know that we can't cause it to happen, then the power of God can be loosed when we evoke the name of Jesus. Because those three things together are a winning combination. So I'm really through with this, but I'm pretty excited about it all. I'm pretty excited about it all because I like change. I like it when you go into a congregation and they say, it's always been this way. Because I take that as a personal affront and as a direct challenge. I've always believed that if the Spirit of God is turned loose in a congregation and they truly have faith, Unity will be the result, period. I don't believe in disunity. Disunity simply means that somebody's being disobedient. I believe in togetherness. I believe in love that is shared. And I believe that God can do almost anything with any congregation if it's for God and not for themselves. I don't believe there's anything that can hold you back when you believe. Not if you're living life in the Spirit. I don't know, honestly what all God's going to do in this congregation. But this I do know. It will not be the same thing that he's done every day in the past. I don't know what that is exactly, 
but we're beginning to see more clearly. I really believe that God is going to claim all these acres for use. Almost 35 of them. Some of you didn't even know you had 35 acres. You say, well, where's 35 acres? It's all the way back there in the trees and the creek and everything else that's wound in together. It's here. And a lot of it is just waiting for us to figure out how to claim that land as surely as the Israelites did when they crossed the river. God is calling us to a ministry to this community as well as to the world. And we're going to get started on it. The plans are going to be laid throughout the summer. And when the fall comes around, there are going to be some things that are different. There's going to be some new activities. There's going to be some new opportunities. There's going to be new things to do. And that's going to start really soon. And you don't have to take part in it if you don't want to. You can be a stick in the mud. But you know what happens to sticks in the mud? Ground dries up, cracks, and the stick falls down, right? Don't be a stick in the mud. Be a helping hand. Because if 400 of us get together and decide we're going to do something and pray about it and put actions behind those words, we're going to be planning to start a second service soon. It's only up to us. And God has already begun. Father God, I thank you for moving in the bishop's mind to send me to this place. I thank you for the opportunity to be a part of this congregation in the years to come. And I thank you now, God, for what you're going to do in the future, for the lives that are going to be changed, for the kingdom of God that is going to be spread, and for the joyful love that is going to spread through us throughout this whole community. Bless it now. Let the work begin in us. I ask this day. Lord, as we sing together our closing hymn, if there's anyone here, who needs to accept you as a Savior, needs to exercise their faith, to just move them to come on down. If there's anybody here, Lord, who needs a church home, just let them come on down as we stand and praise your name as we join in this closing song together. We love you, Lord. Inspire us as we sing. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.